Freddie just read to us from the book of James. I'm not primarily looking there this morning as our text, but I think it's a helpful place to begin our thinking as we begin a new year. I just spoke a few minutes ago about our Vision Sunday coming up next Sunday and how we have plans and we're excited about what is to come and and we are and we should be. And yet in some ways when you look at the verse that Freddie just read, it almost seems to contradict what I just said. Why are we planning? Why are we looking forward? Why are we doing these things? I believe it is important. God has given us a mind. He's given us the ability to think, the ability to reason. And yet, I think these verses in James give us a warning about where we put our trust. It's wonderful to have good plans, and I believe we should. The Bible is very clear. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But if we rely on our plans more than we rely on our God, we are headed for failure. In fact, we've really already failed. And so as we think about this morning, the beginning of a new year, and as I'm sure many of you have plans, and it's good to have them, I'm not going to get up here and preach against your plans this morning, but I want us to consider where we put our trust. Because the reality is, we may know what is right. You may even know the right way. But there may be some in here this morning that are struggling with what is the right way. That last verse that he just read, For him that knoweth to do right, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. And yet we struggle with what's next? What do we do? How do I I go forward from where I'm at? How can I move in a positive direction in my life? Sometimes the issue is not knowing what is the right way. But I often think, more often than not, especially as believers, as we study God's Word, God has given us the answers of what is right. If we don't know them, we need to dig into the book that He gave us that tells us what is the truth. God inspired His Word. These are God's words for us. I quote this verse a lot, but it's a wonderful verse. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. And then verse 17 there says that the man of God may be perfect. He's talking about being complete, having everything that we need, truly furnished unto all good works. I hope that you're as excited about this new year as I am. I hope you're excited about seeing God continue to work. Not just work around you, but work in you. We ought to be seeing both kinds of work going on around us, right? But sometimes as the people of God, we can struggle, can't we? We get discouraged. Have you ever read something in the Bible that didn't seem to make sense and you questioned in your mind, but God, if I do that, then how's all this other stuff going to work out? God, if I follow you in this area, that's going to mean giving up something over here. And we wrestle in our minds sometimes of how to to rationalize all that, how to put all that together where it needs to be. As we think about this new year, about where we're going and what the Lord has us to do, I think there's a wonderful Old Testament story that helps us to understand better the character of God when it comes to making plans and going in a specific direction. I'm so thankful for the Old Testament. Some people say, well, that's just the old stuff. All we need now is the New Testament. No, it's all God's Word. The only difference is, in the big sense, is the Old Testament was written before Jesus walked on this earth. The New Testament was written after Jesus walked on this earth. And yes, while the Old Testament primarily deals with God's chosen people, the Israelites, and the New Testament mostly deals with God's working in the church, it's all dealing with the same God. And while He may speak a little bit differently in the Old Testament and New Testament, His character is not changed. It may change who He's speaking to, but it hasn't changed what He's saying. And so as we look at an Old Testament story this morning, 
I want us to be able to take some truth that God revealed to His people thousands of years ago. And I want to take this same truth and apply it to where we're living today, January the 6th, 2019. Because here's the thing. We, I was having a conversation about this with somebody this week. If it's really truth, it doesn't change. See, we live in a world today that people want to say, well, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. You can have your truth, I'll have mine. We'll all just get along because we all carry our own truth. And as long as we're true to our truth, then we're okay. But see, the problem with that viewpoint is who decides what is truth? If you get to decide what's truth, if I get to decide what's truth, then it, it does become relative and therefore it negates the fact that it's true altogether because truth is either truth or it's not truth. It can't be both, right? And so we must look to a higher power, a higher authority. And I would submit to you this morning, we should look to the highest authority, to God Himself, to Jehovah, the great I Am who made everything, who wrote down His Word for us through, as He breathed it out to holy men of God who wrote down exactly what He wanted them to write so that we would have the revealed truth of God for us that was the same truth Back thousands of years ago as the children of Israel marched out of Egypt, as we'll look at this morning, is the same truth today in 2019. And it'll be the same truth 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now. I hope the Lord comes back long before all that happens. But even if He does, it's still the truth. The Bible says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, the word of God, abideth forever. God's word will never pass away. Everything else might, but God's word won't. Amen. Because it's written by God who is eternal. So let's take some time this morning, if I don't run over the bush here, and uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 14. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 14 this morning in your Bible. I wanted Freddie to read that from James because I think it sets up where we're going here this morning very well, but Exodus chapter 14. This may be a very familiar portion of Scripture to you. It might be the first time you've ever heard it, but either way, I want you to sit back this morning, focus your mind, and listen to what God has for us today, because if it's truth, it matters for right now. Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, Pi between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh, that's the leader of Egypt, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts. I want you to pay very close attention to the last part of this verse. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. See, throughout all of history, God has made it very clear who he was. And he made it very clear, not just to the Israelites. This should be encouraging to you if you're not a Jew this morning. He made it clear to all of us as well. Even clear, in a sense, wouldn't you say that God must have loved the Egyptians? Say, wait a minute, I thought people were going to die in this passage. They do. But God still loved the Egyptians enough to reveal to them that he was God. Now, did the Egyptians accept him? Did they worship him? Did they follow him? No. Just like many people throughout history have not worshipped God as who he is. But God is still faithful to reveal himself Amen, throughout history. So he says here that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And I like this next part. And they did so. Wow, if that was our motto for this year. When God says it, we do it. 
Wouldn't that make a good year? God said do this, and they did so. Simple obedience. Keep reading, verse 5, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. I want us to look at these first nine verses and see what's going on here a little bit. Notice very clearly in this verse In these first few verses, we see the plan of God for His people. Did God or did not God have a plan for His people? He very clearly did. He said, go and do this. I want you to encamp by the sea. Now let's back up a little bit to get some context so you understand what's going on here. So, the children of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt. There's been several hundred years go by. It's been a very difficult time for them. If you remember... Pharaoh even made a decree that all of the male children born to the Israelites were to be put to death. There was one little baby boy born. His mother named him Moses. And she didn't want to kill him. Right? That would make sense for a mother not to kill her child. So she took and she hid him, the Bible says. She made a little raft for him or a little boat for him out of reeds. and, And she wove this basket and she put him out in the river to hide him so that he would not be killed. And she sent his big sister to watch over to make sure that he was okay as she had him hiding down there in the reeds by the river. Well, Pharaoh's daughter had a custom of coming down to bathe in the river. And she came down one day to bathe in the river. And as she was bathing there, Moses cried out. The baby cried. Again, you can look at this and say, wow, that's a lot of interesting coincidences that all happen. Or you could say, wow, God must really be in charge. So Moses just happens to cry out right at that time. She hears the baby. She sends some of her ladies in waiting over to check and see what's going on. They find the baby. She says, well, look, I found a baby. Can I keep it? Right? That's really the attitude. She wanted to keep it. And, and, and then Moses' sister came out and said, well, I know a lady who can help to nurse him until he's ready to be weaned. And so Moses got to be raised by his own mother in his own home, completely safe, not for any fear of anybody coming and taking his life, until he was some five years old. During that time, his mother taught him, she trained him, she instructed him in the ways of God. Moses then goes and he spends the rest of his childhood years and his young adult life growing up in Pharaoh's palace. God took a slave and he put him in the palace. You know, that wasn't the first time that God had done that in Egypt. If you remember back way 400 years or so before this, God had taken Joseph, taken him from being thrown, being a slave, then he got thrown in the pit, down in the, in, in the dungeon, and then he got put up in the palace. Yeah. God always has a plan, doesn't he? We just can't always see it because we don't have a 400-year perspective to look at. And yet, wait a minute, we do. We have God's Word. That gives us perspective over literally thousands of years of God at work. So Moses is raised there in the palace as one of Pharaoh's sons, really her grandsons. He then later goes away. He gets very angry. He sees one of Pharaoh's guards beating one of the Israelites. And he takes a guy, gets so angry, he actually goes out and he murders him. He kills him. You say, well, I didn't know Moses was a murderer. Yeah. 
You read the Bible, you find out a lot of those Bible characters weren't very good people. And yet, forgiven by God, all of us is under the blood of Jesus Christ. So Moses, he runs away for his life now. He wasn't going to be killed by Pharaoh before. Isn't that funny? He wasn't going to be killed by Pharaoh before because he's protected by Pharaoh's daughter. But now Pharaoh's going to come kill him because he's murdered one of Pharaoh's guys. So Moses goes out to the wilderness. He's there. He spends some 40 years on the backside of the desert caring for sheep, hiding out. During that time, he gets married. Different things happen in his life. One day, he comes upon a bush that's on fire, a burning bush. He sees this bush on fire. He goes closer to examine, to see what's going on, and a voice comes out of the bush. Tells him, remove your shoes. You're walking on holy ground. Moses removes his shoes. He walks up. God begins to speak to Moses out of the bush, and he tells Moses, go back to Egypt. You are going to lead my people to freedom. You're going to set my people free. And Moses, of course, how can I do this? I'm just a man. He said, in fact, I... I I struggle. I can't speak well. God says, what's that in your hand? Moses, the shepherd, he looks down. It's a rod. He says, a rod. God says, cast it on the ground. Moses throws his rod on the ground. And the Bible tells us, so I believe it, it immediately turned into a snake. He said, whoa, that's power. We had a little snake incident at our house this morning. Carissa came in and said, Daddy, there's a snake in the freezer. So I go look in the freezer. I think one of the boys was trying to have fun with their mom and put a rubber snake in the freezer. Down in the bottom of the freezer down there where maybe some night Shandy's going out to get some frozen food to make some dinner and she reaches in there and a little rubber snake might just rub up against her hand. The joys of living in our house, right? And all mothers everywhere of sons, they know what I'm talking about. Little rubber snake in the bottom of the freezer and and there it is. But this snake that appeared from Moses' rod wasn't a rubber snake. It was a real snake. You say, how do you know? Well, just wait. I'll tell you in a minute. Then Moses reaches down. God says, pick it up. He reaches down and picks it up by the tail. It turns into a rod again. God then tells Moses, put your hand inside your coat. He does. He pulls it out. It's covered in leprosy, an awful disease. He says, put it back in your coat. He does, and the leprosy is gone. God was showing what kind of power he had over a stick to turn into a snake, over Moses' hand to make it sick and make it well again, to speak out of a bush, to make a bush burn on fire and not burn up. All these things. God's saying, I have complete power. I have complete authority. I can do whatever needs to be done. See, it's not a problem for God. Your problem is not a problem for God. God can solve it like that. But see, as we look at God's plan for His people this morning, realize God often leads His people into seeming problems so that He can show up and they can understand who He really is. Because as human beings, we tend to live life pretty self-sufficiently. We try to figure it out on our own. And we never look to God often until God puts us in a place where we don't know what to do. And so the only thing we can do is look to Him, and so God can show us who He is, and we can begin to trust in Him. God's not trying to manipulate us. He's trying to lead us into doing what is right. Because on our own, we're full of pride. We're selfish. We think we've got this figured out. And only by letting us get beyond ourselves can God use that to show us that we aren't enough, and we need Him. That's why your plans are not enough for this year. Because we make plans, I'm going to do this this week, i got my calendar filled out, I'm going to get this job, I'm going to go to this place, we're going to go here on vacation, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, i got it all figured out, I don't even need God. And then maybe God allows somebody to get sick. Maybe you lose your job. This happens, that happens, and you say, what, what am I going to do? Is God being mean to you? No, He's trying to show you that you don't have it all figured out. That you need somebody bigger than yourself. And you can trust in Him. So God sends Moses back to Egypt. Moses goes. There's a series of plagues. Awful things that God allows. His showing His power over nature. 
And if you study this out, it's fascinating. Even his power over the gods of Egypt. See, the Egyptians worshipped all these different pagan gods. The river god, the sun god, all these different gods. And they would pray to them for rain and pray to their gods to do different things. And if you study the ten plagues, each of them lines up with a direct attack on one of the false gods of the Egyptians. Proving that the Jehovah God, the great I Am, has power over every imaginary God that anybody else has ever come up with. So finally, after the tenth plague, the Egyptians, at the command of Pharaoh, let the people go. So all of the Israelites have packed up all their belongings and they head out into the wilderness. They're finally free. After all these years of slavery, all this oppression, all this difficulty, God has been working in, through a series of events, working through different people to take them to their freedom. And now they're headed towards the promised land, the land of Canaan. You know, in fact, this isn't the first time that the children of Israel had lived in the land of Canaan. They're going back to the promised land. See, they had left the promised land that, where Jacob had lived and where Isaac had lived and where Abraham had lived. And now God is returning His people to the promised land. But as they get out in the wilderness, as they're headed towards their new home, everything's great. We can praise God for all He's done, but hey God, thank you, we've got this now. That could be our attitude, right? Thank you for what you did back then. Now let us take it from here. How foolish that is. That's not what they said, but that's where sometimes we can end up, isn't it? And God comes to them and He tells them, I want you to turn and go a different direction. You saw that in verse 2, that they turn. See, often you have a plan, you're headed in a direction, you've got a purpose, and God may, through His Word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit in your heart, direct you to turn. That's what ought to happen when we read God's Word and we come across some truth that God has for us. And we're reading it and it says to do something or to stop do it, doing something. That's taking a turn. Okay, God, I'm going to submit to your will. See that turning, God telling them to turn, He's saying, submit, humble yourself. That's the attitude we all need to keep before God all the time. Because the moment you get too proud to turn when God says turn, you are now off the right path. God says turn. He says go and camp by the sea. But wait a minute. Well, God always has a plan. Secondly, God's plans don't always make sense to us. See, to turn and go and encamp next to the sea, if you look this up on a map, I went back and looked at all this stuff, it literally put them, in a sense, between a rock and a hard place. Except it wasn't a hard place, it was, a, it was the Red Sea. And it put them down in a place where there was no good escape. In fact, some archaeologists and Bible scholars believe that this place, this location is a place where there's kind of a dried out riverbed that comes out right next to the Red Sea and it kind of, there's this big open space there where a lot of people could camp very easily. Several million people, in fact, is probably were there with the children of Israel. But once you're down in that place, it's hard to get back out because the only way back out is to go back up through that riverbed. And where do you think Pharaoh and his armies were going to come? See, God put him in a place. He said, turn. He had a plan for him, but his plan didn't make sense to them. Why do you think God would allow this to happen right after he just freed the children of Israel? I think because God wanted the people to know that he was still in charge. Thirdly, God's plan always works together for his purpose. God always has a plan. His plans don't always make sense to us, but His plans always work together for His purpose. You say, what was His purpose? He tells us right here in verse 4. I already highlighted it. That the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. You say, you mean God would allow His people to go through difficulty, through pain, through struggle, through fear? Yes. Because God loves everybody. For God so loved 
the world. So could God allow me to go through some difficulty so that someone else might know that He's Lord? Yes. Parents, would you want to go through some pain so that your kids could have it better than you did? Would you like to push hard so that your kids can have an advantage that you didn't have? Right? What parent wouldn't want that? God loves us enough. He, he would allow some of us to go through difficulty, not because He doesn't love us, not because He's even sometimes trying to punish us. Sometimes the pain and difficulty you're going through has nothing to do with your sin. Now, it could be. You might have done wrong and God's trying to bring you back to Himself, but it might be because God's trying to teach something to somebody else. He reveals His purpose here, but in fact, I don't think He completely reveals His purpose. We find out more of that later on. And again, we're using this truth that was written thousands of years ago to help us understand today. When God is at work, we can know that He's always working to accomplish His purpose. But we don't always fully understand what that purpose might be. We can say very simply that we know it's always for the purpose of bringing God glory. That people would say, wow, He's God, He's really Lord. But are, is God doing other things at the same time? Oh yes, He is. Let's keep going on with the story. If you go down to verse number 10, the Bible says this, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. Children of Israel afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? Oh, the last part of this is sad. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Oh, this happens so often in our life, doesn't it? God works in our heart. He does something. We begin to walk in obedience to Him, to begin to walk by faith. And then some difficulty comes along in our life. God, said, God shows us something in His Word. Hey, you need to go here. Do this. Do that. Stop doing that. And we say, okay. And they turned. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a problem. And then we begin to look back and we begin to question God. God, why did I do this in the first place? It would have just been easier to stay right back there where I was. I know it was hard back there. But it's better than where I am right now. Sometimes following God means the path gets harder before it gets easier, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's when we're ready to give up. Say, you know what? Let's give all this up. I'd rather be back there where I was. Because at least I was in control of my situation. And that's such a wrong way to think, but it's how we think, isn't it? Were they in control of their situation when they were enslaved in Egypt? No. In fact... All kinds of different rules came down. Kill your firstborn sons, or kill your, all your sons, I'm sorry. Later on, they said, you know what? Those Israelites aren't working hard enough. They're having, they have too much time in their hands. They're having all these babies. So they now are going to not only have to make the bricks to build the things for us, they're going to have to grow the straw to put in the bricks to build the buildings. See, the children of Israel didn't have any control over their situation back then either. And yet it was something they knew. And so in this present situation of struggle, the past seems better than the present. That's true in our lives, isn't it? Often the past, in some ways, can look better than the present situation that we're in. Not always. But especially when we're in a present trouble, the past always looks better. When we're going through a struggle right now, boy, things just aren't like they used to be. I was at the donut place this morning talking to my guys over there. You know, it's not like it was when we grew up. Mm -mm. Well, maybe it's not. But that's not where we live anymore, is it? God has us right here, right now. So how are we going to live today? 
We can go around complaining about the problems that we're in, complaining about the struggles, complaining about the difficulties. We can look to the back and say, I wish, I wish the past was still here. It's not. So how we live in the present really matters, doesn't it? We can remember the past, sure. But if we let the past be the thing that we dwell in all the time, we're not headed to where God wants us to be in the future. You see, God doesn't want us to stay where we are right now. God doesn't want you to be where you are today a year from now. He wants you to be closer to Him a year from now than you are today. He wants you to have more faith than you do right now. He wants to do great things because He loves us. See, He said to the children of Israel, turn. Then the Egyptians, they come, they trap them. I mean, they're trapped. The children of Israel cry out in fear. You see, their fear of Pharaoh was greater than their faith in God. When trouble comes, what do we automatically assume? Well, here's some things not to assume. Don't assume that God has failed you. Don't ever assume that God has failed you. God will never fail. Don't choose your way over God's way. That's what they tried to do, wasn't it? First of all, well, why did you lead us out in the wilderness? Didn't they have any graves back in Egypt? It would have been better to die back there. Then they're saying, you know what? Our way was better. It was better to be slaves in Egypt than it is to follow God. What does your lack of faith cause you to be enslaved to? See, the lack of faith of these people made these people willing to go back to slavery rather than to live by faith in freedom following God. Our lack of faith in God and, and our unwillingness to obey Him puts us in bondage to our own sin and the ways of this world. We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. Do you believe He's God? And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Many people choose not to follow God because they say, if God was really God, why would He have let all these bad things happen? When we look at things that way, and it's very natural for us to do that, we are misunderstanding who God is, that He's eternal, that He is omniscient, He knows everything. That He has all power and we don't. All we can see is what's right in front of us. All we can remember is what happened in our circle of experience. But when we follow God, we're following one who sees it all, who knows it all, who's in charge of it all, and can do whatever He pleases. Let's continue on in our story this morning of the children of Israel. We see them afraid. The Egyptians have surrounded them. But I want you to see how Moses responds to the people. You see, there's a responsibility of the people then to receive the blessing of the Lord. Notice in verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Now, let me just jump back a little bit because I love these stories. And when you start tying these things together, it starts to make even more sense. Moses says to the people, don't be afraid, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, had the children of Israel already seen the salvation of the Lord? Of course they had. God had freed them from Egypt. And what did God give them? Anybody know? I'm going to let you talk in church. Here you go. What did God give them to show them His presence after they left Egypt? Anybody know? How did God reveal Himself to His people? Through a cloud. The Bible says it was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And God led them, led His people on where they were supposed to go. All they had to do was follow that cloud. You say, wow, that'd be nice. Wish God had given me something like that. He's given you something better. 
is called the Bible. It's the Word of God. See, the children of Israel could only see where God was right then and where He was leading them the next step. God's revealed to us so much more than He ever revealed to those Israelites way back then. But God said, follow me. And if you go back to chapter 13, the very end of the chapter, verse 22, the Bible says, He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He didn't take it away. He was always there. God's presence was always with them, even in the midst of their biggest problem. And if they had just remembered, wait a minute, the cloud's still there. Oh yes, the Egyptians are coming. The cloud's still there. Folks, in the midst of your biggest problem, the biggest struggle, you've got plans and you're headed out to do something and something comes, stop, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. God hasn't left you. Do we leave God? Sometimes. But God never leaves us. And you say, well, I've left God. What do I do? Come back to Him. Where do you find Him? Where you left Him. Because God doesn't, God doesn't go anywhere. He's right here. He's telling us His truth. God was with His people. And yet they're afraid. They took their eyes off the cloud and they started looking at the Egyptians. And that's what we do, don't we? It's an issue of our perspective. It's a problem with our perspective. What are you looking at? Take your eyes off your problems for a minute and look at God. He's still there. Maybe you don't really know God. Well, he, he wants to know you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sin. He's given us His Word so that we can know exactly what He wants from us. So Moses tells the people to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. And he says, these Egyptians, this problem that you've seen today, you're not going to ever see it again. And then look at verse number 14. The Lord shall fight. For you. Maybe that would help some of you. Stop fighting your battles and let the Lord fight your battles. Let God's truth go to work. You say, but i got to do this, this, this. No, all that we have to do is obey God. And let God take care of all the other things. See, we worry about our consequences. If I do this, then this is going to happen. That's not, we, we don't get to control the outcomes. We can only control what's going on in the situation. I can choose to obey God or I can choose to disobey God. It's as simple as that. God takes care of all the outcomes. And God's very clear when we obey Him, when we follow Him, He provides for us, takes care of us. He works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But a lot of people forget that last part of the verse. They're just like, well, God works everything together for good. Only to those who are the called according to His purpose. Is your life in line with His purpose or are you living according to your purpose? If you're living according to your purpose, don't expect God to work all of your purposes out for good. He works His purposes out for good. So follow His plan and His purpose and it will work out for good for you too. Very simple. But so backwards to how many of us live. So God says, see the salvation of the Lord. Through Moses, he says, the Lord will fight for you. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Two words, go forward. See, if the cloud was still leading them, where is the cloud leading them to go? To go forward. Where does God lead us to go? To follow Him, to go forward by faith and following Him. When you get to the end of yourself, when you get to the place, and I don't know where to turn, go forward, follow God. Obey His Word. Put the Lord first. Open His Word, read it, study it. Get together with somebody else. We've got a number of people in our church that are studying the Bible together one-on-one -on -one each and every week. Why do we do that? So we learn how to go forward. We learn what God says. We learn what is right and what is not. We get accountability. Somebody come alongside of us and pray for us and encourage us and help us. And somebody that's going to call us when we're struggling. Somebody that's going to miss us if we're not here. Yeah. 
If you can go from a place like this and not be missed, you, you've got to get in. We're, we're going to miss you. We do miss you. We need some help to go forward following God. He says, go forward. Go forward. God will accomplish His plan in your life when we trust in Him and when we obey Him. See, we see obstacles to God's plans. But God sees opportunities to bring glory to Himself and to increase our faith in Him. Your big roadblock that you see is not a roadblock to God. It's not an obstacle to Him. It's an opportunity for Him to bring glory to Himself. Fear not. Stand still. And then go forward. That's a pretty good list of things we ought to be living by. Fear not. Stand still. Stop worrying and running around trying to fix it on your own. Go forward. Follow God. Say, but I want God to do this for me and do that for me. Why hadn't God provided this? Stop. You don't know what's best for you. God does. Is it wrong to pray and ask God for things? No, God wants to hear. He wants to know, and God loves to give His children good things. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. But God wants us to acknowledge Him. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Fear not. Stand still. Go forward. Say, but wait a minute. That that sounds really nice, but how does this all work out? You know, we don't often get to experience God's provision and God's blessing and answer to prayer until we're willing to take a step of faith in following God. Children of Israel stayed afraid. If they turned and ran a different direction, if they just laid down their, their things that they were carrying and said, okay, take us back, Egyptians, we'll come back, they would have never seen God do the thing that He was about to do. God said, go forward. Go forward. You say, I've heard this story before. God, He parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. Correct. But when did he part the sea? It wasn't before they got to the Red Sea. It wasn't when the Egyptians started coming after them. God does not immediately let you out of everything that you're in. God wants them to show their willingness to obey him. You see, you can claim to have faith. But faith without works, James 2 says, it's dead. Don't say that you have faith if you're not willing to obey God and do what He says to do. You say, I'm not sure if it'll work. You can't be sure until you take that step of faith and then you see God provide. That's been the wonderful thing about serving the Lord. The longer you walk with Him, the more you obey Him, the more you see God provide. You say, I've never seen that. Obey Him. Walk by faith and you'll see it. Say, how do you know? Because that's how God works. That's what's true. That's what's always been true. Look down at the next few verses here. Verse number 16. But lift thou up thy rod. He's talking to Moses now. Stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So he gives Moses the leader a job. Hold your rod over the sea. Verse 17. God speaking. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh. Once again, I'm going to prove to Pharaoh that I'm the Lord. And upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God is making very clear to the Egyptian people of who he was. He says, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. Here we go. The cloud is moving. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. 
You see, not only does God lead, He provides, God also protects. He is before us, and He is behind us. He's all around us. Are we going to follow Him? Are we going to trust that He's also behind us? You say, but if I go this way, who knows who's sneaking up, going to stab me in the back. Right? That's how we look at obedience. Well, if I, if I go this way, so those people are going to be coming after you. You obey God and let Him take care of the consequences. Amen. Go forward. If you need somebody to protect your back, He'll protect your back. A lot of people struggle with this in life. They say, well, I just can't trust anybody. Because people haven't done right. Everybody I've trusted, they haven't come through for me. Well, you haven't trusted God yet. Because God is always faithful. We're not always faithful to Him, but He's always faithful to us. God goes behind them to protect them. He's told them to go forward. He's protecting them for the Egyptians. And it says in verse 20, And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a, this is really cool, It was a cloud and darkness to them. So the Egyptians, they saw darkness. They saw a fog. They couldn't see. But it gave light by night to these. So that the one came not near the other all the night. There's just so much in this story. Isn't it true, though, that when God is at work in our lives... That the same work that God is doing in your life that is light to you, that gives hope to you, at the same time could give darkness to somebody else. Have you ever seen that happen? Where one person's rejoicing in the goodness of God's provision and another person is angry that God provided for them? For one person it's light, for another person it's darkness. Can God do that at the same time? Yeah, because He's God. Can God lead you forward while He's protecting you from someone else who would come and get your back? You know, wouldn't it have been great, right? If the Egyptians and the Israelites all just got along, if everybody's great, and, and the Egyptians got to walk through the dry ground with the Israelites, and everybody had a great time. Well, that might have been nice, but that's not what the Egyptians wanted to do. The Egyptians wanted their slaves back. And God wasn't going to allow that to happen. And so while God is performing a great miracle to protect His people and lead them through on dry ground, with the same miracle, He destroys their enemies. Isn't that interesting? The same miracle that took the Israelites to safety is the same miracle that destroyed the Egyptian army. Wow, we serve a powerful God. So they go through, the Bible says that the children of Israel... Here we go, verse number 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning, that in the morning, what? That in, I'm sorry, in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of the Lord, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians." God made their chariot wheels fall off. Do you think God can work when you get a flat tire? He can. See, that's just a coincidence. Maybe God was protecting you from something else. You think God can work by making something stop working or make something else work better so that His plan is accomplished? Sure He can. He can do anything. He made their chariot wheels fall off. I mean, these guys were experienced horsemen and chariot riders. You don't think they checked their lug nuts to make sure they were tight before they went out to battle? 
course, I'm sure they probably did. They took good care. They had the greatest chariot army in the world at this point in history. And God just takes their wheels off. Isn't it interesting how God can take something, almost something so trivial and turn and use it to slow down some enemy that's coming after him. I mean, here they are. I mean, I just imagine them. The most powerful horses, the most powerful army, most powerful chariots, all their weapons. I'm sure they had a great battle. Shout, roar! And God just takes their wheels off. There they are. You talk about a rough ride. Chariot with no wheels. Chariot enough be rough enough, but now you take the wheels off. Just boom, boom. I mean, that's like sledding in Houston, you know, like going with no snow, right? This is a rough ride. And there they are. I mean, they're... Biggest army in the world. God says, okay, I'll take your wheels off. Folks, we are in danger when we put our trust in anything other than God. Don't trust in the army. Say, well, we got a powerful army. I'm thankful for the men and women who fight to protect us and take care of those things. But an army is not enough to protect us if God isn't protecting us. He can take the wheels off. He can turn the computers off. He, He can cause all that to go haywire. He's God. He takes their wheels off. The Egyptians follow them through. They begin to say, the Lord is fighting against us. Verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again unto the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Then notice verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel. That day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Remember he'd said, you'll not see this problem anymore. That problem was gone. And then notice verse 31, because God reveals a little more of his purpose in his work with his people. Remember earlier we talked about that God always accomplishes His purpose and we know ultimately His purpose is to bring glory to Himself. But God also does other things too. And we see a little glimpse of that in verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. Here it is. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. What happened? Was God glorified? Yes, He was. Did the Egyptians all know who the true God was? Yes, they did. But also the children of Israel were reminded once again who the true God was. They feared the Lord. You see, that might have already been true, that they feared the Lord. They they were in awe of His power and of His presence of what He could do. But I love that next little phrase, and they believed the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, do you fear the Lord? Like, do you really understand that He is God? That He truly can do whatever He pleases? He's in charge of our creation. He's in charge of every situation that goes on in our life. Do you fear the Lord? If you don't fear the Lord... You really need to take a step back and examine God's Word and examine your life. We must fear the Lord. He is God. But I hope that some of you may take that next step to believe the Lord. That you can really trust what He says.
It's one thing to say, yes, I know. He's God. He can do it. It's another thing to say, all right, I believe. Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do what you tell me to do. I think there's a little bit of a difference between those two ideas, don't you? To fear the Lord and to believe the Lord. Now, this is, of course, not the end of the story with the Israelites, but it's the end of the story of what we're going to look at this morning. If you know the rest of the story, you know the children of Israel didn't always stay faithful to God. In fact, they would go through these cycles. Fearing the Lord, believing the Lord, turning from the Lord, following false religions and false idols. Then God would allow some great struggle, some awful problem in their life. They'd be taken sometimes back into slavery. Sometimes back into struggle. Sometimes they had sickness. All kinds of things happened to them. And during that time, they would once again, they would fear the Lord. Wait a minute, let's return to the Lord. The Lord, He is the God. And then they'd believe the Lord. They'd walk by faith and see God do some wonderful things. And they'd win some amazing victories and Wonderful things would take place. But over time, people would get comfortable. We're in a good place. We know what we need to do. As long as we keep going to the temple, as long as we go to the tabernacles, as long as we keep sack, we just do our thing. And they let the little things go, and pretty soon they turn from the Lord and they're right back to it. Folks, we can do the same exact thing. I believe this past year, as we've seen God do some wonderful things in our lives and in our church. There may have been some things that have caused us to fear the Lord. Say, wow, God is amazing. Look at what He did. I think there's been some things that we say, I believe the Lord. I, I trust Him to provide and to take care of us. And boy, God can work in our physical bodies. I just look out across our church and I think of all kinds of wonderful things that God did in some of your lives this year. We had babies born this year. I mean, that's a miracle. We had some people get well who were sick that we were praying for. Wow. We, we saw God provide people to work and to serve and, and share the gospel. And many people trusted Christ this past year. Amen. We, we saw people baptized very, a lot this last year. People being discipled. People growing in the understanding of God's Word. People got assurance of their salvation this past year. People got encouraged. They, they met some friends and family that they didn't know they had, a church family this past year. People went through some hard things this past year. People lost loved ones this past year. People had some financial difficulties that were unexpected for them this past year. People had some people turn their back on them this past year. Ups and downs. Ups and downs. But see, life is like that. There's things we can rejoice and say, wow, look, look at this. It's wonderful. And then there's other things. Oh, that's awful. But folks, we need to realize God's in charge of all of that. Sometimes we look at the good things and say, yes, God's good. He's blessing. And we look at the bad things. Oh, God's not blessing. No, God's still working. It's just not the blessing the way we like to think of blessing. It's God allowing something in our life so that we might turn back to Him. But either way, whether it's a blessing in a good sense or the struggle, the difficulty, may we look to God through all of this and say, God is in charge. We fear the Lord. Here at our church, we want God to be first in everything that we do, in every area of our own lives. And we believe the Lord. We're going to step out and we're going to follow God and do what He tells us to do because He is God. And we know He takes care of us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Let's bow our heads for prayer as we finish our service this morning. I hope that you'll go forward by faith, that you'll fear the Lord you'll follow him father I pray that you'd help us this is an amazing story of your power and your work Lord I know sometimes in my own life 
I look back at these Old Testament stories and I say, wow, I wish God would do stuff like that again. Lord, split the Red Seas in our lives and provide for us in miraculous ways. And Lord, you do those things sometimes, but Lord, sometimes you just speak to us in a still, small, simple voice. Sometimes the only voice of God that we hear is just as we open your word and read the pages of Scripture. Lord, let us not look at that as somehow less than the splitting of the Red Sea. In both places you spoke. Lord, and if your word is truth, help us to obey it. Help us to follow it. Help us to live by it faithfully. Lord, I pray that in this next year as we go forward by faith, believing you, that we would put you first in everything that's done. Lord, not just as a church body, but beginning in our own individual hearts and lives. Lord, if those here, there, there are those here this morning that have sin, that they need to confess, Lord, help them to confess that to you. Ask you to forgive them and ask you to help them to follow you faithfully. Lord, if there's those here this morning that are discouraged, that are troubled, Pray that they'd come and they'd find rest in your truth and find encouragement in the fellowship of the believers here at our church. Help us to walk by faith this year. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.